song made famous by Sister Rosetta Tharp. Very fitting for uh, a day that we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in our homily. It's my privilege to introduce to you our preacher for this morning, Laura Wen. Laura and Aaron, before they had four kids, before they had any kids, used to take care of our kid when our kid was about two years old. Uh, Laura and Aaron were part of Grace Chicago a long time ago. You can do the math. Palmer's 15 now. Uh, while they were grad students down in Hyde Park, um, they moved away, went uh, to Boston, I think went to North Carolina for a while, ended up in Milwaukee. I've kept in touch with them over the years in a friendship uh, that's been a great privilege. Um, then when Michael Moling and Kara... Uh, Michael was an elder here for some time, Kara leading with uh, Grace Kids, very involved with Grace. Um, Michael's still an elder on our great consistory. When they got ready to move to Milwaukee, and they're here today, by the way, um, I thought, wow, that's wonderful. I'll put these two great families in touch with each other. Well, on a morning where we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, it is my great, um, what's the word I want? No great surprise, the Holy Spirit had already put them in the same church. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Laura came and was a participant in our Chicago classes meeting as a guest. She's a distance uh, MDiv student at Western Seminary, our denominational seminary. And I think you can expect to hear from her from the pulpit uh, here at Grace from time to time. For the first time here this morning, uh, we invite Laura to come up. Thanks again, Bob, and thanks Grace Community Church for having me here this morning. As Bob said, it's been about 15 years since we were regular attenders here, but um, you all have always been a nice soft landing to us over the years as we've come home for Christmas breaks and things like that. So um, I'm especially grateful for Bob for being such a support to me uh, as I seek to pursue God's calling in this phase of life. So let's hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will, love, will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy God, we pray through your Spirit, you would reveal yourself in your words today. We thank you that through your Spirit you don't leave us orphaned to fumble through this on our own. And we thank you for your holy presence, Lord. Amen. 
Well, as we approach Ascension Sunday, it's fitting that we continue in Jesus' farewell discourse in the Gospel of John. Pastor Bob has been preaching from John over the past couple of weeks, asking what it means that God has made his home in us and asks us to make our home in him. Today, we look at what it means that God has made his dwelling in his people, his indwelling, what his indwelling offers when Jesus is no longer physically present with his followers. The disciples, having traveled with and eaten with and lived with Jesus, having experienced his great works firsthand, are just beginning to understand that he's leaving them. It's in the face of this great loss, preparing them for what's to come, that offering uh, the Spirit both as a comfort and to equip them to take up the ministry that he's leaving in their hands. This passage is couched in a lot of language about what the disciples must do. In this discourse, they're called to cleansing, to bearing fruit, they're called to believe, and they're called to do works even greater than those of Jesus. Even the text today begins with, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. So within this context of all that the followers of Jesus must do, a life of discipleship, we start to ask how. How can the disciples, how can any of us, have any hope of such a tall order? particularly as Jesus is seemingly leaving them to do it on their own. Well, this is the how, and this is the crux of our focus today. Verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. As Jesus prepares for his leaving, he doesn't leave his disciples orphaned. The Spirit stands in the place of Jesus' physical presence and offers a forever presence. So I want to take a close look at these few verses and examine what the Spirit offers in a life following Jesus. First, the Spirit is given as a gift. As we explore the text further, I think it's important to notice that this gift is initiated by God, which can be easily lost because it opens with that if statement, if you love me, you will follow my commands. Even though the passage is focused on the disciples following a certain way, it's on God's initiative that this progress depends. In verse 16, the Spirit is given on Jesus' request. Verse 18, it's Jesus who will come to the disciples so that they will not be orphaned. And in verse 21, it's because Jesus lives that his disciples live in him, loved by the Father, not because of their work to keep the commandments. So what about these commandments? Today's passage is bookended with a connection between love and obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And later, those who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. Love and obedience are intertwined. Some commentators see it as a connection with Mosaic law, while others connect it to Jesus' command to love one another as I have loved you. In either event, on first blush, it's a little concerning, right? Love for Christ means keeping his commandments. Obedience is tied to genuine love. And I know, I suspect you know, that we fail at this daily. Does this mean that we don't love Jesus? I think a parenting analogy is a good one, especially here on Mother's Day. For those of us who are parents, of course, we hope our kids are obedient to us because they love us. But really, we ask obedience as an extension of our own love. Especially when they're little, we expect a little disobedience for them, maybe a lot of disobedience from them. We have a pretty rascally two-year-old who's sadly home today with a stomach bug. 
Um, she gave herself a haircut a couple weeks back, jumping on that microbang trend, so it's too bad you don't get to experience that. <laughs> but uh, no matter how many times we tell her not to climb on the shelf or on the counter to get to the coveted candy shelf, she's always right back up there shoving the candy in her mouth like a chipmunk, knowing as soon as we tell her not to, um, knowing even as we tell her not to, that as soon as it's in her mouth, it's hers. Even from our older kids, we expect a little bit more obedience, but we know they push boundaries. Um, and even when they do, we know that they love us. The boundaries are there because we love them, not because we need their obedience to know that they love us back. With the gift of the Spirit, God does not leave us alone to meet Jesus' commands. Love is commitment. Love is about keeping promises. And while we may daily break our promises to God, God always keeps his. The Spirit will be with us forever. Yes, I want my kids to obey from a genuine love. But what does it mean that I love them too? Discipleship isn't so much about our love as it is about God's. Colin Cruz in his commentary says these verses, verses, quote, must not be taken to mean that our love and obedience somehow merit this gift. Rather, it is to those who are related to his son that the father sends the advocate. Jesus' first disciples were not super Christians. Um, their thoughts were often not the thoughts of God. At the time of Jesus' greatest need, they forsook him and fled. Peter denied that he knew Jesus at all. But the promise to not be left as orphans stands. The last verse stresses not just the disciples' love, but God's response of love. In God's love, the Spirit is given. Our love is given through the Spirit. In our love, given through the Spirit, we offer obedience in return. And in that obedience, God's love is given right back. In God's economy, everything we offer is initiated by God's love first, given back in love. This is a relationship that begins and ends with God's gift. This is the mystery of our participation in God's grace. Second, the Spirit gives the disciples a presence. Jesus says that in a little while the world will no longer see him, but not to worry, the Spirit of truth abides in his followers followers. They will see him and in turn see Jesus, because he lives in them. These verses are about the comfort of presence in the life following Jesus. Spirit here, translated as paraclete, is a rich word with lots of different meanings, but I think comforter here works best. N.T. Wright says, comfort is a strange and wonderful thing. Have you noticed how, when someone is deeply distressed, after a bereavement or tragedy, the fact that having other people with them, hugging them, bearing, being alongside of them, it gives them strength for the next moment, then the one after that, and the one after that. Outwardly, nothing has changed. The tragedy is still a tragedy. The dead person won't be coming back. But other human support changes our ability to cope with disaster. It gives us strength. I have to expect, as Jesus talks of leaving, that this presence is a balm to them. It is to us as well. Later in verse 26, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I wonder in the trials of our daily lives, what expanding our imagination about it, what it means that the Spirit abides, makes a home in us, might bring us as we long for the comfort of the presence of God. So the Spirit is a presence, 
It's a freely given gift, and it gives the disciples participation in the loving fellowship of the triune God. This is a bit more abstract, but I think taking a moment to reflect on the Trinity is essential here to understanding the passage and the nature of what it means to live a life with Jesus. Theologian Beth Belker-Jones describes it this way. The relationship of the Trinity is, quote, one that never, that has no creaturely parallels. God does not just have relationships. God is relationship. New birth in the Spirit, what we're talking about here in John, brings us into the triune life. I think it's important here um, that Jesus is introducing the Spirit because it gives the disciples a glimpse of the triune God. Because the Spirit makes a home in us, we're taken up into this relationship. When we remember that our lives exist as part of this fellowship that has always been and will always be, we have the freedom to take up the work of Christ, not from a place of anxiety, but from a place of peace. For those of you who know C.S. Lewis's Narnia series, there is a scene from the last battle that comes to mind. The dwarves are huddled together, thinking that they're in a dark, dank stable, when in reality, they're not there at all. They're actually in the endless green of Narnia, where the sun is shining and the sky is blue. They're in the reality of Aslan, but they don't look up to notice. There is a greater reality, but one that we're, when we're looking down, looking within, we only see the reality that's right in front of our faces. The triune fellowship we participate in is hard to perceive, but I think the visual of looking up, looking out at the sun-shining reality of the love of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, up and out at the needs of our neighbor and at the greater in, of life in a community, rather than down and in it ourselves, this is perceiving the greater reality that exists whether I notice it or not, whether I've achieved something or not or have followed the commandments or not. I'm free to love my neighbor from the safety of a greater reality that doesn't depend on me. So this is what the life in Christ is all about. As Jesus ascends ahead of Pentecost, his last words point to the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness to the ends of the earth. As the disciples look to a life in Jesus without his physical presence, as we engage in a life of Christ today, we're not orphaned. We're not left without his comforting presence. We're not left ill-equipped. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit once given, is never taken away. This is so because the gift was given, not because of anything that we can do, but because it was an answer to Jesus' prayer and made possible by his death, resurrection, and ascension. Thanks be to God. Amen.